Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Welcome to our podcast. I'm here with Thomas Richens, a BYU student, um, return missionary from Brazil, speaks Portuguese, and we're going to start with a prayer before Thomas shares a story as a gay Latter-day Saint. So Thomas is going to pray for us. Those of you that are driving, do not close your eyes. <laughs> Our dear Father in heaven, uh, we thank thee for this uh, this wonderful earth that we have and and this life that we have to get to our brothers and sisters, thy children, and uh, please, please help us that we can help each other to to listen more and to love better, that we can learn to be more like Thee and in our eternal family. And we thank Thee for Jesus Christ and His atonement. And we say His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thomas, for having the courage to tell your story on our podcast. And everybody that comes and tells their story, um, it's, it's really heroic what you're doing. And even though we've done a lot of these episodes, it doesn't become less heroic as someone sits across our round table, it went from square to round. It's back to round. <laughs> our son got married and he has the square table. So now I'm back to my round table, but you can't tell the difference. So just a little background on Thomas. He grew up in Joplin, Missouri. He's 24. He is at BYU. He's a social science. He's in social science teaching. Is that right? That's right. Um, would like to either become a historian or a history teacher. He is, um, he is, you know, this Kinsey scale that some of you might be familiar with is 100% homosexual, 100% heterosexual, right in the middle is bisexual. Thomas, and I'll talk about this, is somewhere between gay and bisexual. And so I think that's a valid place to be. Um, Thomas came out in a Facebook post more broadly on October 3rd, 2019, and he had 168 comments on that post. Yeah. I asked him before we went live, and he said most of those comments, nearly all of them were great. And he had a 456 people that liked that post. Have you ever had a Facebook post more liked or had more comments? I haven't. I mean, the closest link was like 200, and that was like me and my companion after the mission. We were like singing a hymn really badly on the way back to conference. Like it was silly. So, but this so this is the this is kind of surprising. And why did you come out on Facebook? And how did it feel for you to have people send you so much love? Yeah. Well, uh, you know this, but the listeners don't. That we we tried to. I I you interviewed me before, and but I wasn't quite ready to get it published. Like which is fine. Yeah, because I thought I was, and then I never got around to editing it, and I realized there was a reason I hadn't gotten around to it. But then I am taking this multicultural education class, and we can talk about more about that later, and what how that's affected my view of the atonement, and you know our, you know our identity as children of God. But I started going to like multicultural events, like forums where I was, you know, the only white person and everyone else was people of color. And I just, it felt so good to talk openly about how I felt. And, you know, these people who on the surface look different, but we're, we're children of God, you know, it doesn't matter color or where we're from or anything. And then I started, as I realized, you know, how am I, why am I, it's not fair to learn to love so many people and still hate myself. And I sort of realized that part of loving your neighbor as yourself is loving yourself. And uh, then I heard that Brother Osler was doing a, uh, a, like a fireside and it was, 
like 45 minutes away and I didn't have a car, but I thought I'm, I'm going to go. And I, I get extra credit from it too. So that's pretty nice. But I want, I was going to go anyway. But, uh, so I went and uh, I heard from, uh, from Calvin, um, you know, friend and not my friend, don't know him that well, but hopefully we'll, you know, as we were both going to school together and, and it's just kind of nice. Cause it's like, Hey, like his story's really close to mine. And, and I thought, you know, he's happy and he's out and he's at BYU and he wasn't kicked out and he's not, you know, it's just, everything looks fine. And, and everything he said was so relevant to me. Like the feeling that he expressed, I, you know, I know exactly how he felt, but if it sounded a lot like how I felt at that moment. And so I went to brother Oscar after I'm like, you know, before I said, Oh, we should do it again. And, but after I'm like, let's set a date. And so we did. And, and so that's, that's why we're, we're talking again, I guess. <laughs> I'm really glad you're here. And it was good to see you at that event. And Calvin Burke is like you, another gay BYU student, faithful and really at peace with it, who he is. I'm going to read our listeners some of Thomas's Facebook post because it's just excellent. Gay, being gay isn't a violation of any commandment, nor does it make me a bad person. I'm no better or worse than anyone else. God loves me the same as everyone. He wants me to feel safe. Perfect love casteth out fear. As I try to love, as I strive to love perfectly, I'm noticing that my fear is beginning to dissipate. I believe that we as a human family and as a people can someday come not only to an understanding, but learn to love each other. I didn't choose to be attracted to men. It's in my brain chemistry. It's in my DNA. It's not evil or unnatural. God made me this way for a reason. It isn't a handicap or a disability or disorder. It's just part of me. Labels can be very harmful, but they also can be very liberating. They are also fluid. Identifying a gay allows me to stop hiding, stop being ashamed, and stop hating myself for something I can't control. I am also embracing the label for now because I want to be honest with myself. The negative self-talk has to end. And I won't read the whole Facebook post. Those of you that want to can go to Thomas Richens and scroll down to October 3rd, 2019. But it's a very well-written post, and I'm glad you had the courage to do it. And I'm glad you had so many um, positive comments. Talk about when you just realized, you know, you weren't 100% attracted to girls. Oh, I mean, it's it's such an early thing. And a lot of people, it's like this for a lot of people, right? Like, it's kind of like, so when, when did you know you were straight? It's like, um, it, I have always known. And I mean, I first realized that it was different around early middle school, late elementary school, you know, kind of puberty. And I realized that suddenly what I like, I thought like what I was feeling was bad. And like my parents, you know, they, and I don't hold this against them, but I don't really remember them telling me about homosexuality and, and it being bad until high school. Like it was already years. And, and by then, you know, I already was feeling ashamed because I didn't understand it. No one talked to me about it. And, you know, we didn't have any resources in the church. We, you know, it, it was, it was a pretty difficult time for LGBTQ plus members. I mean, it still is, but it was, it felt harder back then. I don't, I can't speak for anyone but myself, but, um, and then I just remember, you know, and my parents meaning well, they, you know, they tried to teach me the, all the commandments, but, and I love them. I love them so much and they, they support me so much and we've, we've grown together, but you know, no one's perfect. And, and all we can do is just try to do the best we can from here on out because we can't change the past. And 
things we've said, we can't take back, but we can say new things that heal instead of hurt. Talk about um, suicide and your emotional health. A lot of people I visit with, you know, straight and gay, have at times feel, um, have thoughts of suicide. Is that part of your journey, Thomas? Oh, yeah. It's it's very important. And it's I think that's kind of part of who I am, too. Like, and it, it sounds weird, but I'll explain it. Like, in middle school, I remember, like, my first, I mean, going before that, like, I think it was like third grade, second grade. Uh, I, and you know, when you were little, you don't quite understand how things work. But I remember, uh, I guess I said something about killing myself when I was like super little. And, but I do remember my mom saying, you know, no, you, you can't do that because I'll never see you again. And that, you know, that's obviously stuck with me because I want to live with my family forever. And then I remember in middle school, uh, it was, you know, I remember looking up ways to kill myself on the internet and looking back, it's like, I don't know how I could look that up without seeing, maybe I didn't notice ads for suicide hotline because I know nowadays, and I haven't like looked up now, but like, I'm pretty sure that stuff would pop up like, Hey, call this number, you know, like, luckily we're addressing it as a society. And, and I love that church leaders are saying, you know, we don't know how suicide works on the planet salvation scale, but we still want you here. We want you here no matter what. And you know, my, my battle with depression, anxiety, and suicide thoughts, suicidal thoughts began the first day of my mission. Uh, I got into the MTC and that night it was just terrible. Like there was just darkness and, you know, physical pain and just like, my, I felt like my brain was going to explode. It was just, it was bizarre and scary. And, and I just felt like I wasn't worthy. It wasn't, nothing was going to happen. No, no good things were going to come of this. And it felt hopeless. And I thought, man, if I just would rather not live then feel this pain. And it's kind of, it's, it's actually really comforting because uh, my companion, my missionary companion at the time in the MTC, as soon as I came out, he sent me a message like a day later. And he's like, Hey, you mentioned like suicidal thoughts and stuff. Like when did that start? And I said, Oh, the first day of the MTC. And he's like, Oh my gosh. Like I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I kind of got the impression that he, he knew, but not enough to know exactly what was happening, but he knew something was wrong. And it was comforting, you know, I, it would have been nice if, if we could all react immediately, but like, I don't, you know, I don't expect anyone to know exactly what to do every time. And so this is your MTC. You didn't come out during the MTC. Your no, this is when you came out later. And yeah. Connecting it was like dots. October 5th or something. He reached out to me and he, cause I think he had an idea and he kind of remembered how, how I was acting in the MTC and he kind of put two and two together and he thought, and he's. And I hope he doesn't feel bad because, you know, that's not his fault. Yeah, he did good. the best he could. He was a good MTC roommate and roommate <laughs> companion. Uh, and and those who have served missions know the MTCU is not the real you. So, but. Do you, how much of that you were feeling was because you were gay and how much of that because you're just a new, a new missionary and an unusual and just starting? It was definitely both. Uh, I think every new missionary and every missionary throughout their mission can feel these things and most do. Um, but there was, there was an extra layer and I'm not, not saying it was harder for me than anyone else, but, but you know, for me, the extra layer was the fact that I had to hide my sexuality. I had to hide my preferences. I, and, and, you know, I just, it was really hard and I felt like I was inherently a sinner because of thoughts, right? Like 
not just like I was not even dwelling on the thoughts, but they were fleeting. But still, I felt like those were condemning me. And I thought, how can I help people find Christ when I'm so separated from him? It's really honest, Thomas. Thanks for having the courage to talk about that. Um, talk about, um, you eventually went to Brazil. Uh, this is kind of you talking to missionaries that are, haven't started their mission. What, how, not, it just, did it get better um, eventually? Because you completed your mission. Yeah. I assume it didn't get better the day you got to Brazil. And I assume, the just talk about, you know, did, how it got better and how long it took. Yeah, so the MTC, it got progressively better throughout the MTC. The worst night was the first night. It wasn't like a straight line. It was kind of a bumpy line, you know, with lots of peaks and valleys. But And then as soon as I got to Brazil, there it, it was scary and it, I was anxious, but de- the depression wasn't too bad. But then my first area was very problematic, you know. There, for many reasons, you know, that I don't quite comprehend yet, there was problems with the ward, we had a church leader who, who had to be released because of things he said and did uh, that were contrary to things. And it, that part doesn't really matter. It, just, it was not a very safe place. I've, I was scared a lot. And we felt, me and the other three missionaries in, that, in, that, in the apartment, we just felt like we were totally alone. We None of the members wanted us there. And it was, kind of, it was, an, it was unnerving because we were trying our best and yet it didn't seem like enough. And, and so that was hard. But then I was moved. We were emergency transferred, which just means that Everyone in that area was moved to a different area and to keep doing their work. Uh, and then I had a new companion and everything was good again. But then it crept back in and it kept getting worse. And about halfway through my mission, I started being more open about it to my companions and things. Not not my uh, sexual references, but my, my mental illness. And, you know, they were trying their best to help. And unfortunately, some people interpreted me reaching out to them as me asking to be healed and People gave me blessings saying that I would be healed and nothing happened. And that really hurt my testimony because, you know, I, I thought it would work and it didn't. And I thought, is that my fault or is, does God just not want to do it? And and then so I went and saw, we went to psychiatrists and tried to get medication and we finally found a good psychiatrist and things seemed to be getting better once we got the right medication, but it was still really hard. And at one point, uh, I had the search psychiatrist come and, and say, hey, we're taking you home tomorrow. And I just said, like, I'm not really proud of this, but I basically said, like, if you make me go home, that's a much worse place for me right now because, you know, here I'm just, at least I'm safe and I have someone with me 24 hours. And I just felt honestly felt like I would be better on the mission to finish. And I don't suggest that for anyone who's struggling on the mission. Like, you, you don't have to finish two years, 18 months. You know, that was my choice. And I wouldn't change it. I don't know if I would, but I definitely wouldn't tell someone else to to just push through it, you know, like, because for all I know, it would have been fine had I gone home. How how long out were you when you had this experience? That was only a, two transfers from the end. So you and you just pushed through the last two transfers, and they were they were good transfers, you know, like pres- my president really made sure that I was okay. That he called me every day for like the last six months of my mission. Cool. He'd call me every day, and we'd talk. And he said that I could call him whenever and he would pick up, even if he's in a meeting. And he, he even kind of catered my campaigns around me. Like instead of like, you know, I'm sure he did what God told him to, of course, because in the mission campaigns aren't chosen by anything other than, you know, what the president thinks God wants for us. Right. 
he's not perfect. He's not God himself, but he does pray about these these transfers and things. But it was kind of nice to know that the president and God are kind of trying to help me. So I had multiple companions in my district that, you know, that I really liked. And I was kind of surrounded by friends for the last two two transfers. And we were able to baptize a few people. And, you know, I, I, I had so much spiritual growth. And it was, for me, that was the best choice as far as I know, right? But but like I said, you know, that's that's my choice. It's my path. No one should try to, you know, I just don't want anyone to do that unless they really feel like that's best for them. Sometimes a whole story of a missionary that doesn't feel the spirit and concludes that's because they're not worthy and they cycle through past sins or current thoughts. And, and I've recognized that a lot of people don't feel the spirit because just their emotional health doesn't allow it. And it's not a spiritual weakness. It's just the reality of their emotional health. Does that resonate for you? Did you go periods of time without feeling the Spirit and conclude it's because God didn't love you or weren't worthy, or did you feel the Spirit even during emotional health challenges? Uh, both, <laughs> yes. Because, uh, yeah, like the Spirit, I, I think the Spirit's always, like when you have the gift of the Holy Ghost, you have to be actively sinning for Him to to withdraw. And even then, He's not like completely gone. I think I feel like He's watching from a distance, waiting, you know, praying for you to to let him back in and you know if you don't feel him it doesn't mean that he's not there it doesn't mean he's withdrawn yet you know because you cannot be sinning you could be doing your your best and not feel the spirit and that doesn't mean that you're not worthy it just means that's just how the nature of this fallen world is maybe maybe there's a distraction maybe you're too worried about something else you know it's not your fault it's just how the world is and we kind of have to trust in god that he's still there and when i'm when i'm suicidal whenever i'm in the midst of depression, I'm just laying in my bed for hours, hoping someone will come help me or hoping that I'll snap out of it. And when it hurts too much to pray and it hurts too much to move, something inside me keeps telling me that God is still there. And so small, like it's, I can't really perceive in the moment, but after it's like, no, he was there the whole time. And I'm sure when we die and we see the videotape of our lives, we will see him there the entire time. I love that, Thomas. What, what, talking about suicide, and so many of these podcasts talk about suicide, what would you say what, what would you say to yourself when your healthiest moments to your most suicidal moments? It's kind of like you talking to our listeners that are kind of at the end of their rope and are really suicidal. What, would you, what do you say? I'd just say that you know your, your thoughts are valid. You know your concerns and your, and your desire to make the pain go away is normal. But that still, death isn't going to solve the problem because you're still going to have your personality and you're still going to have your, your, you know, know, mental illness, maybe not, but your personality flaws and not flaws, but like, you know, everyone's got a personality and it's all different and we're not all Jesus Christ and that's not how it's supposed to be. And we're not supposed to be like Jesus Christ in our personality, you know, like that doesn't make you a bad person. If you, you know, if you're naturally inclined to be pessimistic and sad, it's not that necessarily a bad thing. And and so I would just say, like, you know, you can feel emotions. It's okay, you know, but just don't do it, you know, like stay here because we need you more than you could ever know, not just emotionally, but, you know, you have such a great work to do. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, what you think you are, what you think you've done. You can do so much to help your, your fellow brothers and sisters. You don't have to be on a certain point in the covenant path. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to be endowed or 
you know, in a good in a relationship, like everyone has such an essential role that taking one person out does so much damage to the eternal family. The eternal family is in Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, and all of us. That's really helpful. Thank you. Talk about the two great commandments, including loving yourself. Yeah, so I feel it's so my post was on uh, October third, I think, right? It was like it was early October, and and a big thing that I focused on was the two great commandments because I don't know it's funny because it's so simple, but it's also so hard to do. I'd even say it's impossible for us to do it perfectly in this life. You know, we can get so close, but if we hold ourselves up to the standard of perfection, it's not going to happen. So I think the two great commandments, as and that's oh, I can't remember the scripture reference, but it's in the New Testament. Jesus Christ said. You know, someone asked him, like, which commandment shall I keep? Which one's the most important of the Ten Commandments, right, from the Old Testament? And Christ said, there are two great commandments. Love God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor unto thyself. And then he says something along the lines, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the scripture in front of me. He says, the law, and upon this hangs the law and the prophets. And I was just thinking about that. I'm like, there's only two commandments, <laughs> you know? Like, Everything else, you can still the Ten Commandments, they're still there, but the two we really need to focus on as children of God, inside or outside of the church, whether you've left or not, whether you're a member or not, is loving, you know, your fellow man as yourself and include yourself too. You know, self-love is important and, you know, you don't have to be a brother or sister biologically, you don't have to be married to someone, you don't have to be someone's best friend to love them because... You know, whether or not you believe in Christ, I think everyone wants to feel welcomed and wanted and appreciated and valid, validated, you know. And I just realized that if I just focus on those two things and try to help others to see this same vision, it'll be fine. It doesn't matter if I get sealed in the temple to a woman before I die. It, it does not matter because I don't, I, the God that I've, that I've come to know, he wouldn't make me gay and then send me to hell because he made me gay. Because he wants me to be like he is. And this goes for everyone else. It doesn't matter. Gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, straight, you know, black, white, whatever color, where you're from doesn't matter. None, none of that matters because we are all so valuable to him. And that's why he gave us those two great commandments because he wants us to be happy on this earth, you know? I don't think he wants everyone to be baptized because he knows it's not going to happen in this life. It's just because there's agency and... I think he want more importantly, he wants to just love each other and treat each other well and stop arguing and stop fighting and stop killing each other and stop killing ourselves because we all deserve love. I love that. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And um, a commandment to love ourselves. Um, I think God loves us sometimes a lot more than we love us. Um, somehow we see our weaknesses and look in the mirror and I think we first should see that we're a son or daughter of God who's because of that is, you know, it is, should receive incredible love because of our divine origins. Yeah, sorry, if I could just throw something I forgot to mention. Um, it sounds like I'm really focusing on the second great commandment, but to me, they're the same thing. Because if you're loving your fellow man, like really loving them and treating them like you would think God should treat, that God would treat them, that he, that he would treat you, and if you're loving yourself at the same time, you know, then you're loving God because all he wants for us is for us to get along, right? Like any parent, right? He want, they want their children to get along and, and God wants us all, like he wants every single one of us, member or not, to return to him 
and he'll he can work that out because he's he knows more than us right and not that we should stop trying to spread the gospel but we should stop trying to just throw people in the water it's you know it's it's faith we have to have faith that you know if if my if my friend steps away from the church i'm gonna keep loving them i'm not gonna try to get them back in because god will take care of it as long as i'm keeping the commandments i'm trying to invite him to do the same then that's fine and so if we love god we are loving our neighbors and we're, if we're loving our neighbors we're loving god there you can't separate them i like that it reminds me of a quote i saw from elder marvin j ashton in 1992 that's before your day thomas and some of our listeners but i remember Mel, elder marvin j ashton he said the best and most clear indicator that we are progressing spiritually and coming into Christ is the way we treat other people. And I would add to your point and the way we treat ourselves. Yes. Talk about, we've never talked about this subject on this podcast, the Westboro Baptist Church. That yeah, so that sounds random, but it's good. In, I made a list of things. Introduce that church to us if any of our listeners don't know. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try really hard because, okay. because my, my story with them is kind of complicated. So... Uh, I first found out about them in high school, and I heard that what everyone else has heard that they protest funerals because of gay people. They they protest straight veterans' funerals because of gay people, like that logic. But then I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, and when we had a tornado come through my hometown and destroy a huge chunk of it and kill 161 people, and the Westboro Baptists came and protested our tornado, I think, or because the recovery. Because it was God's punishment. It was his punishment because... because of homosexuality. Okay. And I remember just, I hated them because it didn't make any sense, especially because I'm gay. And back then I was still hiding it, but I was still gay. And I thought, Did no. you think this tornado was... No, <laughs> you didn't go that's, that far. That's not how that works. Like, okay, that tornado, just checking. Yeah, that tornado happened because of wind currents and, Good. you know, front, cold front, hot front, you know, like it's nature, you know, and honestly, it, you know, it was terrible. Like, I can't emphasize that we lost people we loved and not just to death, but also people lost their homes and they had to leave. But I mean, if you have to look at the bright side, then it kind of brought our town together. We're not perfect. Definitely not perfect, but you know we kind of used this disaster to at least pull together a little more. Anyway, so the Westboro Baptist Church, and I kind of held on to that in my heart. And it's like, yeah, these people are bad. But then recently, my friend, uh, one of my one of my closest friends, like actually my, I don't like to rank friends, but he's the the one that I'm most open with. I feel like I can talk to him most, and I'm expanding out, but but he's kind of the first one that I could really totally be open with. I came out to him three years ago along with two other roommates, and. So I was talking to him and he said, he told me about this podcast episode. I think it was, it was like NPR. It was like a NPR podcast. It wasn't like the main one, but, and it was with a, with a woman whose grandfather founded the Westboro Baptist church. And she left it when she was 19 because she, she kind of, she had a faith crisis. She wasn't under, she wasn't making the connections between what her church was saying and what she was seeing. And it was kind of haunting because the point she brought up and the way she described how her church operated sounded familiar, you know? And I'm not, I'm not here to say that the, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Saints is the Westboro Baptist Church because we operate very differently, but it was the motives. Because she said that even though she doesn't believe in that church anymore, she recognizes that they really thought that they were doing God's work. Their, their worldview was that if we, if we make enough of enough noise which means protesting these funerals. It's like, they weren't saying 
I don't, I don't quite understand either because I'm still learning, but what I understood was that they thought if they made enough publicity, people would stop sinning, you know, and it sounds kind of ridiculous, but some of the things we believe may seem ridiculous to other people and my eyes are kind of open. It's like, wow, these people that I hated for so long, they're not that different from me. And I kind of wish we could all do that with not just with other Christian denominations, but with Muslims, with Buddhists, with Jews, with atheists, agnostics, you know, anyone, you know, we all, we're all trying to make the place better, make the world better. And, you know, and we're trying in different ways. Some ways are more acceptable than others, you know, like, you know, for example, I don't think protesting at funerals is appropriate and I don't think murder is appropriate, but I don't think there's anyone on earth who wants to make the world worse. You know, if anything, they're trying to make it better for their group. But so I just was thinking about that. It's like, wow, like, what can I do better so that I'm not coming off as, you know, this scary, you know, evil church or this evil person. And it's kind of agonizing because I don't really know what to do. But, but yeah, I, I thought that was important. And I wanted, wanted to talk about it because I think we as members of the church need to be careful with what we say and do. So we're not coming off looking like that or even doing those things. It's thoughtful. I think I agree with you that we're a long ways from the Westboro Baptist Church. Definitely. um, So I agree with that. And I think you're making that point as well as saying it's okay to look inward and try to recognize what we might be doing that would add to someone's burden. And I think we can have enough confidence in our church yeah. Um, at times to look inward and say, what do, what could I be doing or what could I be saying or what could I be missing? Because um, certainly as we look back over time, we recognize we kind of are harder on people in the olden days and say, well, I would never have done that. Yeah. I would never have said that. I never would have burned witches at the stake in Salem, Massachusetts, whenever that was. 1690s. <laughs> well, I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> I don't know the, the exact year, but. But, you know, we sort of look, and I don't want to equate that to this, but I think it, the historical view, we sometimes say, well, I would never have done that. I think of the woman, I used this in my presentation, Catherine Schweitzer in 1967 that ran the Boston Marathon. The race officials um, tried to rip the number off her because the assumption of the day is women were too frail to run marathons. And now, 50 years later, we would never think that. So I think it's a thoughtful comment. And um, it's uh, so what I try to do is not have is not fall into the trap of unearned opinions. <laughs> yeah. It's where I develop opinions about groups of people that I really haven't talked to to learn about that group of people. Yeah, like, Even Westboro Baptist Church, I guess, would fit into that. I've certainly have a lot of opinions about that group. And me too. Maybe Still. if I went and talked to them, those opinions would be validated. But maybe, you know, I mean, I don't know if that's no. a fair comparison because I do see what they do firsthand on the news and I'm pretty uncomfortable with it. So maybe it's, it's hard. And <laughs> kind of what I, what I take from it for myself is that I don't know the heart and the intent of anyone besides myself. I don't even know myself really, but, and I'm not going to play judge during executioner. It's probably good. I don't have to accept it. I can speak out against it, but I'm not going to demonize anyone. Yeah. I, I don't like, think that's my job. I agree. Um, talk about, we could talk about Hawaii yeah. Um, we could talk about what is truth really, or we don't know some of these other bullet points you've given. Yeah. So it just, I, I think I forgot to mention when I talk about my, my growing up is, um, and this is, this is mostly just me. No one told me to be quiet. Like no one was silent, actively silenced in me, but the community I grew up in, 
the fact that I was gay, the fact that I had different opinions than most of my classmates, even in at the you know I went to private school and was a little more liberal. Even then, I didn't feel like it was safe to talk because the few times that I spoke up, I kind of got laughed out of the room. And and so for my first 24 years, I kind of just kept quiet. But then as soon as I came out, you know, once I was fearless that time, it's like, this wasn't too hard, you know? Like, I did it, I can do it again. So I kept doing it. And so I'd speak out about certain political issues and, but I would, and I wouldn't do it perfectly. I wouldn't do it perfect, right? Like no one's perfect, especially when it comes to politics. No one's 100% right, no one's 100% wrong. But I started to realize there's more sides to the story. We can't look at one side. We can't demonize one group over the other. And so, so with Hawaii, I went to this meeting uh, with because this multicultural forum I go to with the people with people of color, my my brothers and sisters of color, and one of them invited me to this this forum in at UVU, which is Utah State University. No, sorry, Utah Valley University. There we go. And it was a leader of uh, the movement against the one of the telescopes on Mauna Kea, and. I knew nothing about it. Like I knew it was happening, but I didn't know either side. And I'm still looking into it because I'm still on a research. I know more. Uh, but he just he's from Mauna Kea. He's from the shadow of the mountain. Like he lives in the valley. And and he just talked about how Hawaii's it's just not been good. And I don't need to go into the whole history of Hawaii. I think, you know, it, that's best for us to look look it up ourselves and honestly, earnestly research it. But hearing, you know, hearing injustices that were caused by the people that I adhere to, you know, Americans. And I, you know, I don't demonize Americans or even the people who did those things still, I don't, I can't demonize them, but, but it made me so sad because, you know, we, we hold ourselves to such an ideal yet we're so imperfect and we, we don't realize that we're not perfect. And, and, but then, you know, I was there and it was mostly Polynesians and Hawaiians and, you know, people of color. I was like the, one of the few white people there. But it, I wasn't comfortable at all. Like it felt Good. natural, and we started off with uh, the presenter thinking, I know I can't remember if she was like thinking or just paying tribute to the Utes and the Paiutes and the Goshutes and the all the, the Navajo and the Native Americans whose land UVU was on, and that that like touched my my heart because I've always kind of had a soft spot for the indigenous people of this country, um, ever since even before I learned learned of the injustices. I don't know why it was just. It's a fa it was a fascination and now it's just a love and and I'm trying to get that for everyone but and that that made me think wow do I do I think about that you know I'm not the first person here and you know not just with native peoples but you know if you want to look at pioneers that way too you know but like no one this earth is no one's it's God's earth he's given it to us at the same time we should respect who's already been here and honor them so and then we we had like a we all got in a circle and hold held hands and someone prayed in in the Hawaiian language and and they were singing in Hawaiian it was just it was so beautiful I didn't know what they were saying but but the same time I kind of knew you know I kind of understood in my heart that they were praying to God just like I do and I don't think the I don't think the presenter was even a member of the church but it didn't matter and he talked about Hawaiian you know what we'd call mythology but what I've learned to call just you know beliefs and religion because I've I've heard people tell me that my religion is mythology and that didn't feel good but basically the the, the wine story of, of creation and their relationship with the earth and they said that the earth is like a like a fetus and mountains are kind of the umbilical cord to heaven like we are we are becoming born and so many beautiful messages and and it felt as holy as the temple in that one room at uvu with not everyone being a member and it's because we all loved each other and we we weren't judging each other. We were there to learn how to help each other. 
And one thing he just said was like, he kind of turned to me and the other white people and he's like, you know, it's not your mountain geographically, but it's still your mountain because it's, it's on earth and we are all family. And, you know, if you believe in something, you stand up and you say something. If you, if you see a sacred place that's being threatened, then, you know, it doesn't matter if, if it's your temple or if it's your mountain, it's sacred to your family. And so I'm kind of looking for ways that I can stand up for people who are being oppressed. I'm learning what all these words mean, oppression and social justice. And, and it's not what people say it, say it means, you know, there, there is a definition out there. And I think it doesn't help to throw these words at people. I think we should, instead of arguing, trying to drag people around, we should, you know, learn together and grow together because no one's perfect. No one knows everything, but I just, I've seen my life change by opening up to others and letting people open up to me and exposing myself to things I've never done or seen before. That's really thoughtful. Um, this is a topic that I don't know much about, and it reminds me of the podcast where I had a couple of black guys, LDS black guys on the podcast, and they started to talk about racism. And I felt myself kind of tightening up inside, and I thought, why? And I thought, it's because perhaps I'm um, being challenged with some of my assumptions and needing to, and that, that tightening up was actually potential growth as I learned to set some things aside and grow. So sometimes tightness in ourselves is, is right. And we're yeah. being exposed to something that's not true. And it's our natural reaction. Sometimes that tightness we feel is part of the growth that can occur if we learn, if we're willing to learn new information about a subject like indigenous people. Yeah, And my brother that it's, I don't talk about my oldest brother. I have a, two brothers that have written books in the last year. My oldest brother is a professor at the University of Oregon and wrote um, really a scholarly book called Surviving Genocide, Native, um, Native Nations in the United States from the American Revolution to Bleeding Kansas. And um, then he's, gonna, he's writing another book from Bleeding Kansas to today, which will talk a lot of it about the Western United States um, Native Americans. So as I've read his book, and it's, it's a real scholarly read, um, that you could handle, Thomas, because you're a smart BYU student. Anyone can handle <laughs> any information. But, you know, I just recognize that there's a lot I don't know, and it may make me uncomfortable as a white man to realize that the land I'm on, like UVU campus, was owned by, owned, or I don't know the right vocabulary. Inhabited. Inhabited by another group of people that were forced to leave when, you know, a, a white people arrived, and... And that dissonance would naturally make me uncomfortable, but it's probably okay that I walk into that dissonance if I really want to understand a story. Now, I recognize I can't walk into every category of dissonance and learn everything. We have to take this slow. And so, you know, this is mostly LGBTQ on this podcast. And, and those of you that are willing to listen, you're maybe at times feeling a little bit of that dissonance. Yeah, and it's part. I rec and I compliment you for being here and hearing from Thomas and other LGBTQ guests as they share stories. I don't feel that dissonance anymore. I've heard so many stories, um, and that's not a, being a compliment to me. It's just it's just time in the space. I've sort of un understood the potential marginalization that me and others have made to people like Thomas, and I'm certainly still capable of that. So I want to claim I'm all the way to a hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, for just 
if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm I'm very white. I'm from Missouri. Oh, we didn't even tell not, you that. Not that Missouri means that you're white, but true. But I'm from a predominantly white area, and you know European ancestry. You know pioneers across the plains, and yeah, like but. I've come to realize that just because I am a race or, you know, something, it doesn't mean that we're all the same in that one race, you know, like, cause it's one thing to feel a little bit of guilt. I think it's, that's natural. Cause you, you feel like, oh man, like I, I feel sad that this has happened. And that's kind of my people. Like they call themselves Americans or they call themselves Christians or they call themselves whatever, but that shouldn't be shame, you know, like it's, it should be productive and, and it's, there are hard sayings. Uh, like I still kind of feel the ten- tensing up too, but I'm I'm learning to let just let it go and just listen, not listening to respond, not looking for sound bites to use later, but I'm listening just to understand them. What a great comment! I keep stealing. I'm not uh, listening. <laughs> that's not my original con- like. That's not my original words, but stem- yeah. I love that. That's great. Listen, listen to understand, not listen to reply or respond. Um, we've got about twenty minutes, and I know there's some more things on this list. Just talk. What's important to you in the last 20 minutes to share with our listeners? I think it's it's kind of the truths that I've come to know because truth is is a complicated subject because honestly, I think, and you, know, you can message me about this later, but this what I really believe is that there is a truth out there. Like there is the truth, but it's not in this life. We, we can't get there because we're human. We're fallen. We're not celestialized. We're not resurrected. There are things that are so close that were the lines so blurry, and those are things that the Spirit has manifested to you. For me, that's that we I have a heavenly Father and a heavenly Mother who love me endlessly, like throw any adjective you want, but it's it will never end and it's perfect. They are perfect too. Jesus Christ is also very is he's perfect and he atoned for all of our sins in in so many ways that we can't we can't even describe it. It's just so so important and. And the Holy Ghost is there, and I and I believe that the church is being restored. This is a church that is being restored. We're not there yet, but I think we're moving in the right direction. And I trust that the, I trust President Nelson to you know make the right decisions. Maybe not one hundred percent the right decisions, but I still trust to follow him and sustain him. You know, because for example, with the the policy change from two thousand fifteen to two thousand eighteen or nineteen, where you know children of LGBT people could not get baptized until they were eighteen, and and you know, gay marriage was was I think was gay marriage was seen as apostasy or in the manual, like the official. And then they reversed it, and everyone's kind of thrown off guard because they were so hurt. And then it's like, oh, but that's not how it should be. And and I don't expect an apology. I don't want an apology. I don't want an explanation. I just I just want to keep live keep with my testimony because I know they're not perfect. So I've learned that no one's perfect. No one has all the answers. Not even President Nelson. I love him. He's awesome, but he doesn't have all the answers either. He. He is a special extra link to God that we have because he speaks to God, but he is not God. And God also speaks to us, you know, so we need to talk to God, listen to the prophets, but also talk to God ourselves, pray, read the scriptures. And as a historian, I'm starting to see history is written. It's not, you know, it doesn't come into being in the perfect. And so I think a grain of salt is fine. Doubt is fine. In fact, it's really good because doubt can drive you to learn more. Joseph Smith prayed in the woods because of doubt and you know and president kimball he ended the priesthood ban that barred black people from receiving the priest and temple blessings because of doubt and wilford Rudolph, he ended the practice of polygamy officially because of doubt and you know i just i don't think god wants us to be blindly 
following anyone. He wants us to obtain faith through doubt. Um, and then finally, just the atonement is so real and it's unfathomable. And I'm trying to be as respectful as I can and but also express the truth that the Spirit has told me that we are supposed to feel not the entire atonement. We can't we can't handle that. But I think as we get closer to Christ and our heavenly parents and each other, as we are getting further and further along the path, we're supposed to feel the pain that Christ felt. We're supposed to feel persecuted for telling that what we think is the truth. We're supposed to feel betrayed and feel the jaws of hell opening up. Now, I'm not saying that we're supposed to be Jesus. We're not, we're not ever going to feel everything that he felt. But I, over the past couple of days, I think I've felt a little bit of just a tiny, tiny speck of it. And it wasn't fun, but, but I appreciate it so much more now. And I, it, I know the atonement, it's endless. There's enough for everyone, right? There's no person who's ever lived on this earth who cannot become like Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. We are their spirit children, but I don't want the spirit part to take away from the children part. They, so, I don't know the, how, but like we were created just like my parents created me. Like, like I was born spiritually to these people and they, they love me just as much as my violence parents love me, if not more, because they're perfect. And they raised me and they trained me and they said, okay, it's time. You're going to earth. It's going to be a very short time, but it's important. Do your best. We'll see you on the other side. They said that to everyone. No one, no one is exempt. If you don't believe in God, that's fine. You know, that doesn't change my opinion of you. And that doesn't change God's opinion of you, you know, and just if anything to take away from this, from this episode, I guess is, you know, try to love everyone. You know, there's, there's no, we don't need to have hate in this world. You know, it's, it's impossible to get rid of it completely, but we still should try. Um, I love that, and I love um, it's okay to feel pain in the jaws of hell, and I think I think that's part of the reason we have um, the story of Job, yeah. and we understand as much as we can the road that Christ walked, because great growth comes through these experiences, and it's, un, it's uneven. Some people go through life, and they have very few of these experiences, and some people have more than their fair share, and I've never quite known how to reconcile that, except that... Um, just recognize it's different, and but I do, um, and I think personally, I think when we signed up for Earth Life, we just signed up for the random of things that come to us in Earth Life, and due to the random of that, some may get more of that than others. I sometimes, and I'm not sure every single trial we face is directly um, customized for us as much as just part of a general mortal plan that hard things come into our lives because we signed up for this imperfect world and we're subjected to the imperfect laws of nature that create floods and tornadoes in Joplin and we're subjected to the agency of others. We're subjected to their decisions when they drive and might cause an accident or perhaps I cause an accident and results in someone else losing their life through no real intent of my own and that would obviously cause a lot of pain in that family, but a lot of pain in my life to know that that had happened. So these are pretty thoughtful comments from a 24-year-old man, Thomas. More things that come to your mind. Um, something that keeps coming to my mind is that it'll it'll be okay, you know. I don't know if the people listening are 
you know, I don't know if the individual is LDS or not, or don't believe in God, or I don't know what you're going through, but let's, let's work together to make the world feel safer to make, you know, cause we're in a very unsafe world right now where, you know, children are being slaughtered and women are being raped and every unimaginable thing is happening to everyone. Everyone's, you know, suffering. We're in a fallen world and we can work together to make it a little bit better. And that's enough. And we need everyone here. And, you know, if you, if you feel like you can't trust God or he's not even there, I'm here and Papa Osler's here. And, and, you know, there's so many more people that are rooting for you and it'll, it'll be okay. And we will figure this out. Like, you know, as a history student, I've seen the world is changing. And in my opinion, I think the world is getting better. Maybe not on an individual level. It might, we might be able to see it, but there are things happening and we can keep it going. We can speed it up. And, you know, unfortunately we can also make it get worse, but I'd like to think that most of us want to get better if not all of us, and we can do that, you know, you don't have to be Mormon, you don't have to be Christian, you don't have to follow every commandment to a T, and, you know, just, it, we're all alike unto God, he's no respecter of persons, he doesn't care about our politics, but he does care about us, and, you know, we just need to, when it's appropriate, put things aside, and just hug each other, love each other, you know, like, reassure each other we're here, I don't, I don't know what legislation we need to do to do that, or, what we need to send where, but I think it's just a mindset first, you know, not only, but definitely we should change our, our perspective, not change, but be open to others' perspectives and to, you know, listen, learn and love, you know, I love the title because it's just, that's what we need to do. I love that. And I love your historical perspective. I think that gives you better context for what's happening today. Talk about, um, what, you know, you could be Catholic or you could be different Christian faiths because obviously you have a deep belief in God. What are the unique doctrines about our church that keep you a member of our church, even though it can be a pretty tough road for an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint? Yeah, I have I have opinions that some might not agree with or might think are controversial or looking to pick a fight, but I kind of use a reference of like a target, you know, with like rings that are different colors. And on that target, you can plant your flag wherever, right? On this ground. And I think it rep for me, it represents like beliefs. Like the outer rim would be like things that aren't even really culture. They're just kind of there. And I don't, you know, like really is basically everything. Um, and then you get closer and it's like kind of church culture, which isn't always good. You know, it's not always bad either, but there's a lot of harmful things that we need to just get out because it's the traditions of man, not god's word and then you're getting closer and it's like policies and procedures and handbooks and church publications which are good and they come from a good place and good intentions but they can change you know church history has changed so much it's how we see the book more translation what we know about the priesthood restoration and we're learning more every day and and we're changing accordingly you know and policies change too and it's it's a beautiful thing because you know we're we're trying and and then you get closer and it's what people think is doctrines. And, and this work, it's kind of fuzzy because, you know, I'm not one to say that your doctrine is wrong or by you, I'm not saying, you know, the doctrine of, of Papa Osler, but like the doctrine of Christ, you know, viewed by you. And I think we need to remember though, that if the doctrine that we really believe in were to change and God were to say, for example, only blacks can have a priesthood or only gay men can marry in the temples, you know, it's, 
it sounds silly, but if that were to change, where is your testimony then? Because I think there's one more in the middle. There's one more little section, and that's the section that I'm trying hard to cling to. And those are the simple truths that God, God, which I, I say God, but I mean Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost wrapped into one, working in unison, your eternal family, their love is there. It's never going to go away. And I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what the plan of salvation really looks like because for all I know, God's going to save everyone. I'm not going to assume that because then I'll be complacent and not try to help anyone or help myself. But if I, if I let everything else kind of just let it go and, you know, obey the commandments that are here. And then when they change, obey those. And when those change, obey those. And my, my flag, my base, my tree is planted in the most central location I can find. You know, it's not policy or doctrine. It's not culture and it's not politics or economics or history. It's, it's how I feel about God's love and what he has told me personally through prayer and through revelation to me. I like that answer. I like the analogy of the target. And I think um, part of my target or part of the unique parts of my testimony of the church are my relation, this doctrine that I think is unique to our religion, which is heavenly parents that are co-creators that I can have a personal relationship with. Yeah. And that love me unconditionally and aren't angry, aren't vengeful, but want to do everything I can to get me back. And there's room for everybody in this plan. There's no scarcity of salvation or exaltation. I believe that salvation, like we teach as missionaries, that the resurrection comes to everybody. Exaltation requires um, behavior, but I believe that, that that's not exclusive, that everybody can earn exaltation. And so that, to me, coming back to the sin of the target is something that, you know, keeps me a, a believing member of our church because of that doctrine, the doctrine of a loving Savior who, as you're talking about, can feel all pain and take away all pain and is real. Um, I love the priesthood as part of my central point. I really yeah. believe I hold the priesthood that we hold the priesthood and that that's been restored. Um, then I've seen, you know the chance to give blessings to people where words came to my mind that weren't my words. And it was clearly I was acting through with the priesthood that I had been delegated God's power to bless people. So, but then you're right. I like going to the outside. It's because sometimes policies like the policy statement was unsettling for me. And even some of the policies as a wise say Bishop, sometimes I kind of, you know, I'm a pretty good rule follower, but some of the r policies, even in membership records and, you know, I recognize where everybody needs to live in the same ward to be in a YSA ward, but sometimes it made sense for an exceptions. And so anyway, that's kind of how I've navigated that too. That's a pretty good visual of a target. I'm thinking of a dartboard, you know, yeah, me too. I never <laughs> quite hit the middle Thomas. I mean, I, I remember playing darts with life. my high school <laughs> friends. I'm going back to um, the Spafford home and playing darts downstairs with all my high school friends. And I can't remember if I ever hit much in the center. Um, other um, talk about this question came to my mind and we still have about five to 10 minutes. Have you ever asked God or heavenly parents why they made you this way? Why they made you somewhere between bi and gay? Yeah. I just, I want to add one more thing. Okay. Good. Sorry. Uh, I might even need you to remind me of the question in a second. So keep that in your head. But, um, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that like, you don't have to stay only in the middle, right? Like if you really like 
I don't know if you really like a part of the culture, you know, you need to make sure you, that it is in accordance with the center with God's love. If it's appropriate, then you can, you know, keep it and, you know, love it and exercise it. And I'm learning so much about the priesthood myself and temple endowments. And part of it's through looking at church history. And as we look around, we learn more. It's, you know, it's fine to expand, but the center point should be as close to the middle as we can get. But, it, you know, it's fine. I'm not trying to make you feel bad for loving how the priesthood works or how temples work or because I do too. And so you asked uh, how... Well, have yeah. you had any conversations with your heavenly parents about why you're gay? I mean, I I haven't gotten any answers as to why why I'm gay. You know, why I'm like ninety percent gay or whatever you want to say. Like, but I don't. I don't. For me, I it's fine. I don't. I don't need to know why. I think I'll figure it out eventually. I have some theories. I think. I think with mental illness and being gay, I think that's helped me to be more accepting of other people because I crave that too. And we all do, but it's, it's for me, it's, it's really obvious. And, and I think it's helped me be more multicultural, right? Not, not like change my culture, but, but to accept others and, and, and realize that we are, when it comes down to, we are all one family and, it's just so much easier for me, not easier for me than others, but you know, easier than it has been in the past for me to accept everyone. And, you know, it's like, I don't have to condone behavior, but I also, you know, I can still love and, you know, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. You're still worthy of love. Like, you know, and you can take that as far as you want and I'll still say it because ultimately I'm not the one in charge of love. That's, that's God. And he said to love everyone. And so I don't know why, why things in my life are the way they are, but I can speculate that it's make me more merciful. Maybe make me gentler. I see the world differently. Uh, I love differently, you know, and not just in like, you know, sexual preference way, but like I, I'm working on, you know, cause Christ like love isn't just qual quantity, loving everyone. It's also quality and how much you are loving someone honestly like like a brother or a sister in, and beyond too not you know not not like a romantic love but an intense love that is christ like that is perfect and well i don't think perfection i i almost know 99 percent sure that perfection will not happen in this life i think if you get that close you'll be translated and you'll be taken up to heaven and then you can do it there but I, you know i don't think god wants to be perfect now he just wants us to be trying he doesn't care how close we get to perfection. If we're trying, then we're good, you know, and it's not my place to say where that someone's perfect because someone shouldn't say that about me. And so, yeah, I think, I think we're given, I don't, I'm not going to call it a trial because I don't see it as a trial. I'm not going to call it anything other than me, you know, being gay. I am gay and I identify as gay and sure. I could later, you know, decide maybe I want to be bisexual and it's not like I'm changing my identity, but since I am kind of in the middle, it's not 100% for me. And I can, I can tweak the label, you know, but I'm not going to tweak my label as a child of God because that's always there, you know, and what are your hopes for the future? You're 24. Um, as far as these three routes you can take being celibate, um, being married to a man and not being able to be in the church or being married to a woman. Do you, do you try to figure out which of those three roads you're going to take right now, or do you just try to put that on the shelf and say, I don't really know? 
Yeah, I I don't know because I could you know I could marry a man and you know be in love with him and and I I trust God that He'll work it out. You know I don't want it to sound like I'll just you know it's fine I can just do it. You know it doesn't matter because it does matter if if I feel like that's not the right path and I shouldn't go that way. But there is not one path. You know it's, it's just it's not black and white. It's not that simple and. And I don't think God wants me to just find a woman and marry her either because it's complicated, even for a straight, for, you know, a straight couple, for, you know, two heterosexual people. It's, it's not, a, it's not an easy road. It's not guaranteed happiness. It's, it's not a quick fix. And you really have to be invested 100%. And I want to make sure that if I ever do that, I'm ready for that. And I find someone who's also ready for that so that no one gets hurt. So for now, honestly, I'm just thinking celibacy because... You know, I don't, I don't, I know that being sealed in the temple and with the authority of God is a box we do need to check, but it's not what we're thinking. It's not something to do before you die. You know, I think eventually it will happen, but in such a way that we'll be okay with that. And I don't know necessarily if that has to be like a man and a woman, like, and I found the proclamation says one thing, but. And I, you know, I love the proclamation, but I know that it's also written. It was not traced by the finger of God and I wasn't what they're watching it. So I don't know. I trust that it was under the direction of God and I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to try my best with the knowledge I have, try to learn more, but hold firm to my testimony in that center point that they love me. Christ atoned for me. God gave his son and heavenly mother gave her son. And it'll be fine. I, I'm not too worried about, about it. You know, I'm going to keep trying and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter who I'm with at the end. You know, I'd, I'd like to do what I feel is best. And that sounds like moral relativism, but that's not the way I see it, you know? And, and I I'd, honor that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think our listeners know that I invite everybody to stay in our church. I believe in the doctrine. Everything good in my life has come from being in our church and following its teachings and if an LGBTQ person feels their path is different, I won't invite them to go down that path. I won't sort of pave that path for them. But if they self-determine and receive a, um, some personal revelation, then I'll just leave that at the Savior's feet. My relationship with them won't change. I realize they yeah. can't fully participate in the church, but the circle of my friendship and hopefully our family circle doesn't change as someone makes their way in life. And I recognize it can be scary for parents and loved ones to have someone they really care about. Um, if they step away from the church, they wonder what that means and what does that mean for the eternal family. And uh, those are legitimate fears. And if you feel that, I don't want to dismiss that. Um, and I just say, you know, let's leave that at the Savior's feet, like Becky McIntosh does in her video. Um, talk about one last question, and then you can give us any concluding thoughts. If, okay. um, if, if there's YSA bishops listening <laughs> um, and they want to do the right thing. So let's say I'm a YSA bishop and I know you're gay and you, what's the best. And I kind of want to keep you in the church, Thomas. I, maybe I, I mean, yeah, like that's, I a, mean, that's totally normal. <laughs> that's, you know, I think that's a pretty natural thing for a member of the church, a believing member of the church is want to keep other people in. And if you're a YSA bishop you, or any priesthood leader, you may feel of a responsibility because you're called by the church to keep people in. So what would you say to, you know, a local leader 
that's counseling with an LGBTQ member. Yeah, I was at a, a stake YSA conference thing on Monday, and they had these classes, and one of them was LGBT, uh, LGBTQ, and uh, that's all it was titled, right? It's just it's kind of interesting that it wasn't like living with or just LGBTQ. Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny to me, but uh, but the speaker was actually Ben Shalati. Cool. Uh, hope I'm saying that right. I know it's beef. It rhymes with beef patty. Yeah, but I think you're right. Yeah. So. And he had kind of a quiz at the end after he told his story and kind of gave his his thoughts. And the quiz was, you know, your friend comes out to you. What do you do first? And it was like point them to uh, church materials like like Mormon and gay website or. And then the other one was like, you know, tell them about eternal families. And the other one was uh, it was something else that sounded really good. But then the fourth option was love them and make them feel welcome. And then he, he said, the answer is D and everyone, everyone agreed with him. And then he showed us a quote from, I think it was the Mormon gate website. Um, and it was like, it basically was a whole page dedicated to what do you do if someone comes out to you? And it, it says first love them and make them feel welcome. And I just love that. You know, what if you're, can I do to make you feel welcome? Yeah. I think just, you know, provide a safe space. You know, I feel like that phrase has baggage, like a lot of phrases, but it's a true principle if, you know, you need to be able to feel like you can talk and be loved and, you know, not that you have to change someone's actions. You, you can't change the, the church, right? Like the, the church doesn't have to cater to you, but you can still feel loved. You can still feel appreciated and wanted. Um, and so I think to show that love and make someone feel welcome, I think it's all about intent and delivery, of course. And, you know, and if you don't know what to say, then say it you know like in a loving way not not a way that makes them feel worse but if someone were to say tell me that they don't really know what to say yet like when i came out for the first time to my three roommates one of my roommates had to step away for a second and that, that really hurt but then immediately he came back and that hurt evaporated and i'm like and he needed that he needed that minute because he needed to gather his thoughts because not everyone knows how to deal with it no one knows how to deal with everything and and it was just, it's comforting that to see someone trying so hard and, and now it's, you know, years later, it doesn't matter that he had to take a second. Like I love him just as much as anyone else. And I know that he loves me too. And, you know, I think it just, it's, it's all about intent. If you have the real intent to make them feel loved and welcome, you'll, you guys will figure it out and the spirit will manifest to you what you should do and say, if anything at all. Right. Sometimes they just need a hug. Sometimes, you know. LGBT people, LGBTQ. Um, I don't know. At least for me personally, because I can't speak for everyone. But me personally, I'm I'm a I'm a hugger. But sometimes I wonder. It's like if they know that I'm gay, will they not want to like touch me or hug me or put their arm around me? And that's that's how I get. That's how I'm comforted most when I'm depressed. And and it, you know, it's kind of scary because it's honest. It's really yeah, honest, and Thomas. It's like, and it's hard when you feel like you can't be helped in the way you want to be helped or the way that helps you most because people are afraid of you, afraid that something will happen. And it's not logical fear for either person. So I think, you know, maybe ask them if, if they want to hug, you know, like if you're not sure if you should do something, you can ask, you know, and if they, if they're offended at being asked their opinion, you know, that, that's okay too. And just it's intent and the Holy ghost will help. Like you're not, bishops aren't alone in their work. They're God's behind them. They don't have to be perfect, but, Keep listening to God. He'll tell you. 
I think bishops are doing a really good job, but most of the stories are here really positive about um, LGBTQ members coming out to the bishop, especially I've just seen much more improvement on that. And Ben Shalati tells the story. He's come out to a lot of bishops, but one of his most recent bishops said something like, well, what do I need to learn to serve you? Yeah, that's What good. a humble thing for... Um, a bishop to say, to recognize that he may not know everything and ask the very person he's ministering to give him ideas on how he can best serve him. Um, yeah, any closing yeah. thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I just love that, what the bishop said, because we all, everyone should be telling, asking everyone that question. Um, you know, when I made a, a post about a certain holiday, about a certain person, there were so many different reactions and none of them were, you know, some of them were, were earnest and they were asking you know for more information so they could learn others didn't really want to hear it and they kind of really fought back and threw names around and insults and you know i cried myself to sleep that night because i wanted to help them but i didn't know how and but i think i can do that more you know if i can tell someone struggling with anything or even if i don't really know if they're struggling i'm not sure if i ask them that that's that shows so much love just a, just that and I think if we could all do that to each other, no matter who it is, and if we all feel safe enough to be honest, then we're going to make so much progress together. That's great. Um, thank you, Thomas Richens. On behalf of our listeners, you've got a great heart, great insights in the gospel of Jesus Christ, great compassion. You've also got a great brain. Um, just your ability to talk and reason and communicate and be thoughtful and that kind of ties together and to who you are. And thanks for being on the podcast. You have a great life ahead of you. Um, admire your spiritual depth, your maturity, your relationship with heavenly parents. And I agree that one of the reasons that perhaps you're LGBT or gay is I, I've learned to kind of, there's a correlation between that and having more empathy and compassion for others and other groups. And I've recognized that in my own life with, some of my struggles that I've shared before with mental health, emotional health, and some ways I'm glad because I think it helps you understand deserts that other people walk and have more empathy and compassion. And I've learned to talk about that like you're talking, and that creates more authentic connection um, and more meaningful belonging as we can be who we are and fit in based on and belong based on who we are versus not versus becoming something we aren't. So thank you, Thomas Richens. Um, thank our listeners and all you're doing to get our podcast out to rate and review it and share it. We really appreciate that. And we'll sign off um, from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.